are able to bring you these weekly podcasts through the financial support of our members and friends. If you are helping to sustain the ongoing work of our church with your regular donations, thank you. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring donation, visit the donate page on our website, ucofh.org, or text 833-610-0867. Thank you for helping to share worship and messages of hope with the wider community during these unprecedented times. Welcome to the United Church of Heinsberg podcast on the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, Proper 8, 2020. We are a community-centered church in rural Vermont, celebrating together virtually during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. As an open and affirming church, with ties to the American Baptists, United Methodist, and United Church of Christ denominations, we're glad you're here. I'm Rev. Jared Hamilton, the pastor of UCH. Sammy Angstman has provided music for this episode, and she and Baker Angstman also perform one of Bella Bartok's uh, Romanian folk dances. Special thanks go to David Eddy for reading our gospel lesson, which is Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, and our Hebrew Bible lesson from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. There will be a homily and service of morning prayers. Let's get started. Today's gospel lesson comes from Matthew, chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. These are Jesus' final words that finishes off instruction to his disciples before they are sent out to begin their own ministries in chapter 11. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward.
Today's lesson from the Hebrew Bible comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is one of the more difficult passages in our Bibles, entitled, The Binding of Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I'm going to nerd out a bit. I'm a huge fan of zombies. There are classic movies like Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, and 28 Days Later, and the still-running television series like uh, The Walking Dead on AMC. Recent entries in the genre have branched out. There are now zombie musicals like Anna and the Apocalypse, two Disney movies uh, creatively entitled Zombies and Zombies 2, and the zombie action blockbuster World War Z. While the genre expands, many zombie stories focus on a small group of survivors and the difficult or even impossible choices they must make to stay alive in an oppressively violent, zombified world. The genre is such a force that colleges across the U.S. even offer classes on zombies, where students get college credit for watching zombie movies and reading zombie literature. These classes are not just for film students. Instead, today's zombie-themed classes can be found in 
philosophy, psychology, and business departments. Because underneath all the gore, zombie movies often address big human questions like morality, decision-making, sacrifice, and what it means to be in community. But sometimes the violence and doom of the zombie genre can become too much, you know, at least for me. I've had to stop watching The Walking Dead series twice because the show is so effective at taking away every window of hope or element of humanity from each of the main characters. For me, the dread of zombie stories can reach a tipping point where the few nuggets of love or redemption or kindness aren't even enough to make it worth my time. Is it sacrilegious that I think of some stories in our scriptures like zombie stories? A handful, maybe even more than a handful, of our biblical stories are downright awful. They depict scenes of violence and torture, seem to promote genocide, and represent God and humans at their absolute worst. I believe uh, that as people of faith, we should challenge ourselves to find the lesson in these stories, the word in all the words. Sometimes underneath all the gore and inhumanity, we can see biblical authors probing big questions and searching for answers that address the same themes mentioned earlier, morality, decision-making, sacrifice, and what it means to be in community. But there are times when the story is so difficult, offending, and problematic that, like zombie movies, they simply become too much, and we have to put them down. Take today's lesson from the Hebrew Bible, called The Binding of Isaac, from Genesis chapter 22. This lesson comes to us um, in our Sunday reading schedule once every three years. Sometimes, when a difficult passage arises, we opt to go with an alternative. But this is unique. This story is like a zombie movie that reached the tipping point of awful, yet we are still forced to watch. And it's because this story is central to the, to the development and practice of our faith and other world religions as well. Abraham is, the, is a foundational figure in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam which some call the Abrahamic faiths. This specific story is foundational in all three traditions. The story of the Akita, or binding, is chanted during the observance of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. This story was central to early Christian theological formation, as early thinkers developed ways to understand the crucifixion of Jesus and develop a belief system on the resurrection. In the Islamic calendar, the Feast of Sacrifice is one of the most important holy days. It falls after the Hajj and celebrates Abraham's sacrifice of a ram in place of his son. But make no mistake, this story is awful. Here's the context. In Genesis 12, God spoke to Abraham when he was known as Abram, saying, Go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and curse those you curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
and Abraham followed God's invitation. He packed everything, and he and his entire household, including his spouse Sarah, other relatives and servants, uh, wandered out of the safety of their ancestral lands and their tribe and into a dangerous world. For several chapters in the book of Genesis, we follow Abraham and his group of wanderers around on their adventures. He rescues his nephew from bandits, pretends his wife is his sister and almost marries her away, eludes death, is blessed by a mysterious priest, and, and tries to intercede with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then his son Isaac is born, a miraculous birth foretold by God. Today's story picks up here. One night, God speaks to Abraham in a dream or vision and offers him a test. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Human sacrifice occurred in the ancient Near East when this story was written down, although scholars argue to what degree it happened. There is archaeological and written evidence that children were sometimes, would sometimes be sacrificed to a local deity when a tribe or people faced extreme hardships like famine, war, or plague to appease what they thought was an angry god. In other situations, a prominent citizen would sacrifice one of their children as a sign of resolute faithfulness to a deity, with the idea that there was nothing of greater importance to give up. Abraham was called out of a Chaldean culture that practiced both versions of child sacrifice and interacted with tribes and cultures that did the same. In our story, God speaks directly to Abraham, and interestingly, we note that this is the first time in our scriptures where someone is described as loving another person. Abraham loves his son Isaac. Likely, we are to read that Isaac is the most important thing in Abraham's life at this moment. And yet, the next day, Abraham packs everything up and heads out with Isaac to Moriah. Three days later, Isaac is lying bound on an altar, and Abraham has the knife in hand. When an angel of the Lord stops the sacrifice and points out an alternative, a ram stuck in a nearby thicket. Isaac is replaced on the altar by the ram, which is sacrificed in place of the son. Traditionally, we might reflect on a handful of themes that fit within our Christian faith. Perhaps we could talk about the reality that there are trials in our lives. We all face difficult choices and long for God to provide when our backs are against the wall. We might remember that the Lord's Prayer petitions God that we not be led into temptations and trials. We might also reflect on how obedience or faithfulness to God can be really costly. When, when Jesus talked about discipleship, he often highlighted the costs. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about giving up the world, wealth, comfort, and your good name to follow him. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about 
the family divisions that can arise from being a follower of Jesus. You know, today we donate money to houses of worship, volunteer our time, and make difficult lifestyle decisions because of our faith. When we adhere to the social teachings of Jesus and his call for justice, inclusion, and reconciliation, we are asked to go well beyond our comfort zones and take stands against injustice in ways that can alienate our families and friends. Finally, we might reflect on the ways that God provides. This, I think, is one of the core themes of our passage, regardless of its issues. Some writers have argued that the text today is less about Abraham's faithfulness to God and more about God meeting Abraham's hope for provision. Abraham expresses hope that this awful situation will be remedied by God, providing an alternative sacrifice. And God does not let down in the end. Likely, we might gain strength from the reminder that God provides for us, even when the situation looks bleak. Pulling on this thread a little more, we might consider how we forego God's provision and sacrifice our young. One of the leading poets of the First World War, Wilfred Owen, retells this story in the parable of the old man and the young, but ends the story differently. When, lo, an angel called him out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not do so, but slew his son, and half the seed of Europe, one by one. Today, when we make disastrous, disastrous economic and environmental choices, we do much the same. What burdens will our children and grandchildren bear because of our continued use of fossil fuel, groundwater depletion, and deforestation? Because of our choices around development, health systems, income inequality, and education, how will our children find affordable housing, a stable job, pay for college, or make choices about their health. A passage like this might spur us on to think of future generations when we make our own social choices. Despite these gracious avenues, however, we might still be stuck in the story. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, something that feels out of character with the God we proclaim. Abraham does not question God throughout the trial. God doesn't even show up at the end, but sends a messenger instead. And reading on, it seems that this event broke every relationship around Abraham. He and God never speak again. In the same manner, Abraham never speaks with Isaac, his son, or his wife Sarah again. The zombies, you know, the the awful backdrop of a trickster god, child sacrifice, and blind devotion have become too much. When scriptures do more harm than good, we should consider moving on. 
Sometimes the lesson simply costs too much to be helpful. Personally, I don't know if I'll ever prepare a reflection on this passage again, you know, despite its importance. What do you say? Can you find a message of faith in this story, or have you moved on? Regardless, may God bless you today with enough faith to withstand challenging lessons like these and the courage to challenge our faith when it doesn't work. Amen. Feel free to join me in saying the prayer of our Savior, followed by a prayer for all of God's creation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Loving God, we pray for the earth. Commit us to simple and sustainable living. Call us to treat all your hands have touched with reverence and dignity. We pray for all nations. Remind us of our common humanity. Forgive us our saber-rattling, and cast out tyrants that harm your people and poison your land. We pray for the cities of the earth. Renew the ties of mutual regard, which form our civic life, and guide us in all work for equality, dignity, and justice through policy accountability and the market. Help us to address our racist history and enable all of us to find in each other the fulfillment of our humanity. Loving God, we pray for the church. Provide us wisdom, courage, and accountability. Help us to grow closer to you and work together for the common good of all, even now in this time of pandemic. We pray now for all those people and places on our hearts and minds. By the blessing of your spirit, help us to live as we pray so that the world may come to know the gift of life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Life is short, and we do not have long to gladden the hearts of those around us. 
So be quick to love and do good to your neighbor and allow God to journey with you all of your days. Go now in peace.